0: privilege to have Brother Levi uh, preaching for us tonight, excited about what God's laid on his heart. If you weren't here this morning uh, to meet them, and when I introduced them before they sang this morning, they are from Fishersville, Virginia, have been serving at the Crossroads Baptist Church there uh, for a little over seven years, and uh, served under his dad, who's a pastor, who was a pastor at that time in Georgia uh, for three years or so, before the God called them to be the youth pastor, minister of music at the Crossroads Baptist Church in Fishersville, Virginia, and uh, God seems to be closing the door on, on his time of ministry there. And that's how we got connected in 2018 uh, when I was preaching a youth conference in Charlotte, North Carolina, actually, that he took his youth group to. And he came and introduced himself to me after I preached a message. And God just kind of knit our hearts in that five-minute discussion. And in the back of my mind, I said, I'm going to keep their name uh, in my back pocket. You never know. And uh, here they are, uh, uh, prospectively going to be. Um, assistant pastor and director of music here, and very, very grateful that God brought him our way. Levi, you come preach tonight and you let her rip, man. We're ready to listen. Welcome to Fellowship Baptist Church.
1: Thank you. Love you too, man. Thank you. I think, yep, we're good to go. We're on. And um, thank you so much for being so insanely gracious um, to my family, and our kids aren't here with us, but. You can't have serious conversations, a lot of which we have had this weekend with a bunch of kids running around everywhere. So, hopefully, next time we're back in town, uh, which looks like it's going to be the case, uh, our kids will be with us. And if they're not with us, please let us know because we have left them at a gas station somewhere. <laughs> Those loves, gas stations are huge, the kids running there. Anyway, um, so we're going to be in Mark chapter number six tonight. Mark chapter number six is where we're going to be, and um, I lied, and I need to apologize for that. I mean, if we're, we're going to be family, bear you one another's burdens, and I'm a liar because yesterday on Pastor's Preview, um, I said that we were, I was going to be preaching about Jesus healing a blind man, and Jesus does heal a blind man in Bethsaida, but that's not where I'm going to be preaching. I got back to the hotel last night and uh, tried to study it, and the Lord said, I don't want you here. And, uh, he, he had me change the message last night and, uh, listen to pastor Tyler preach this morning, how it relates to the message this evening. I think there's going to be some, uh, um, they're tethered together. So, um, hopefully this will be a blessing. There's a, there's a statement that we've all heard, um, one time or another, you're either going into a storm, you're in a storm or you're coming out of a storm. Storms are a part of life. Um, And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. There are two major occurrences where uh, Jesus calmed massive storms that are really uh, famous in Scripture. We're going to be looking at the second one this evening in Mark chapter number 6. And I'm going to get to those verses here in just a minute, but I kind of want to give you context of where we're at in Jesus's ministry. In Jesus's ministry, Jesus preached on the parable of the sower. Okay, so we're just a couple chapters from where we were this morning. So here in the next couple years, when Pastor Tyler finally gets to Mark chapter number six, from where he is right now, (laughs) preaching verse by verse, he'll be able to correct everything. But by then, you won't remember this message. Okay, so it'll be fine. So this can be horribly heretical, and you'll correct it eventually, uh, sooner or later. Just don't put this on the podcast if you don't like it. But Jesus preaches the parable of the sower, and uh, right after that, Right after Jesus sows the seed, he puts his disciples on a boat. Remember, Jesus falls asleep in the boat. A storm arises. They wake him up. Care you not that we perish kind of deal. And uh, he calmed the storm. Right after that, they landed in Gadara. Remember those two demoniac men? Mark tells us about one. Matthew tells us there were two. Those two demoniac men that ran out of the caves there. And Jesus cast legion out, 6,000 demons, into the pigs. And they ran over a biblical case of suicide. And then. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's go home. That was good. Uh, A merry heart does good like a medicine, guys. Um, He healed those two demoniacs. They get back in the boat. They go. They visit Nazareth again. And uh, from Nazareth, he sends his disciples on a missionary journey. Jesus goes to do miracles in villages and things, and his disciples go on a missionary journey. They come back together, and right when they come back together, they hear the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. And Jesus, in his shepherding way, knew that he needed to get his guys aside to take a rest, a little sabbatical, if you will. So Jesus tried to. But as they got in a boat and they were staying close to the coast, the Bible tells us that crowds from the villages started following and noticing that Jesus and his disciples were, were on the coast. And just like Pastor Tyler said, there were a lot of superficial people, a lot of people saying, show us a sign, signs and wonder type people just coming to get their bellies filled and their helmets healed and things like that. And so that all culminates for the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus right there on that mountainside, there's over 5,000 people that he feeds. And it was at that time that people really started, really, okay, there's something about this guy. Even to the point where they wanted to make him king. They said, this is the Old Testament prophet. And Jesus said, I'm not come to be king yet. Uh, this time around, I've come to be the Christ and the Messiah. So he knew that oh, they were, they were so close, but they're just not getting it yet. So he rushed his disciples down the mountain because the people were kind of getting up in arms. They wanted to make him king. This is the prophet of the Old Testament. And so he put his disciples in a boat and he sent them and said, I'll meet you in Bethsaida. Bethsaida is right on the top of the Sea of Galilee, right by Capernaum where Jesus's headquarters were. Uh, He sends them over to Bethsaida. He said, I'll meet you over there. And Jesus went into a mountain to pray. This is the passage of scripture that we're in tonight is an insanely critical time in the ministry of Jesus. I'll tell you why. Jesus' ministry pinnacled at the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000, I mean, his his numbers, his ratings were sky high. But the very next day after feeding the 5,000, he fed the 5,000, let's just say he fed the 5,000 on Tuesday evening. Well, on Wednesday afternoon, he would get up and preach the message there in Capernaum, that I am the bread of life, the communion message. And in John 6, 66, everybody but the 12 disciples left. So the feeding of the 5,000 on Tuesday, Jesus's ministry, what way up here. And then by the very next day, he was bottomed out in his ministry at the lowest point of fame in his ministry. And between that high point and that low point, there is a storm. Say that again. Between the high points and the low points, there was a storm. The storm that we're talking about tonight takes place between that pinnacle and that bottoming out. It's not the first storm where he woke up. That happened a couple chapters ago. And honestly, it's kind of surprising how the guys acted in this passage because Jesus just uh, a few short days, weeks prior, had already calmed the storm. Uh, Let me say this about storms before we begin. That's going to be the theme that we're talking about tonight. A storm, the definition of a storm is a violent disturbance of the atmosphere. To move angrily or forcefully in a specified direction. So how does this apply to us? When we say, we throw it around a lot. Man, I'm just going through a storm. What are you actually saying? Man, I'm going through a severe disturbance In my life, something has hit my life out of nowhere. It's a storm, and it's okay to call that a storm. Something that's taking you off guard. Something that's knocking you around. Something that you're having a real, a violent disturbance in your mind, body, soul, spirit, relationships, whatever it may be. So I want you to, in your mind tonight, if you would, allow the Holy Ghost to pinpoint where your storm is. Nobody's living a perfect life. I know Instagram says we are, but nobody's living a perfect life. Everybody's got something going on tonight. Every single person in this room has something, whether your spouse knows about it or not, whether your youth pastor knows about it or not, whether your pastor knows about it or not, whether you think God knows about it or not, whether you are trying to face it or you're trying to ignore it, everybody's got some type of, disturbance taking place. And God uses these disturbances to till up the ground of the seed that has been planted. Do y'all remember when Pastor Tyler said this morning, he said they would sow the seed and then they would till up the ground. Then they would make long their furrows. Then they would work it into the ground. You know what God uses a lot of times? After we read the word and it's sown into our heart through devotions, or we hear the word and it's sown into our hearts and spirits through preaching. You know what God, you you know what he uses to furrow that up? A disturbance. You got to disturb the ground, right? To get the seed down in there. And if our hearts truly are the soil, Pastor Tyler, which I wholeheartedly agree with. If our hearts really are the soil, God's, you think that ground likes it when it is tilled up and torn up? And that has to happen in our life a lot of times too. That's why when you make a decision, for you hear the word of God, you make a decision for the Lord, it seems like there's an immediate test on that decision that you just made for the Lord. And then we're like, oh, I can't get over it. But I want you to think about something tonight. The storm is a good thing. The storm is a good thing. Because you want to grow, you want to be better. Well, God's got to test you on it, right? You can't just graduate without taking tests. Storm is a violent disturbance, and God uses these disturbances. Just as Pastor Tyler was talking about this morning. The first storm that Jesus calmed a couple chapters ago, you know, it came right after the message of the parable of the sower. Preaching, seed sown, big storm. This second storm where we're going to be in tonight, you know, when it comes after, Jesus preaching and teaching to all those people, the 5,000 on the side of the mountain. Seed sown, they heard the word storm. Uh, Even notice with me real quick in Mark chapter number 6, verse number 52. That's where you're at, Mark chapter 6, verse number 52. Look at this. God told me to preach this last night. And I didn't know what Pastor Tyler was going to preach on. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. You know why these boys had such a hard time with the storm? Because all those miracles that Jesus did in their life, all the blessings that Jesus did in their life, didn't do nothing for them. Their heart was hardened. And Jesus was using this storm to get them from that hard ground to that fescue heart. I think that's what you said this morning. One truth for every person to know about storms or violent disturbances, every person on the face of the earth, Christian or none, that God uses storms or violent disturbances to bring people closer to Christ. And that, it applies to every person for salvation. Godly sorrow works repentance.. Ugh. The realization that my the penalty of my sin, the wages of my sin is an eternity in hell. It works. Salvation. But not just salvation. When we get saved for sanctification, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and he sees those stones in the second ground of the heart and he goes in there and he removes them. And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Count of all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your patience. God uses storms. Lord Jesus, we commit this to you. Please bless the preaching of your word tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's jump into the passage tonight. In Mark chapter number six, verse number 45. And straightway, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when they had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. So I told you that there were, there was a truth that every person needs to understand about storms, That's a, that God uses storms to draw people closer to Christ. But if ratios were correct tonight, most everybody in here is most likely a Christian. You've been converted, you were saved. And if you're not, there's hope for you at the end of this message. So not just there's truths about storms for every human being, but there's three truths for Christians to remember while they're in the storm. Okay, so I I wanted to make it as applicable as we possibly can. The first truth you need to understand in your personal disturbance, in your heart, in your mind, in your marriage, in your relationship, in your finances, whatever it may be, Remember this, we belong to God, the maker of that storm. You notice he said straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the boat. Psalm 100 verse number three says, Know ye not that the Lord, he is God. It's he that made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 55 says, you've heard this before. The psalmist says, "My heart," Psalm fifty-five, verses four through eight. My heart is sore, pained within me; violent disturbance, and the terrors of death are falling upon me. Sounds like those boys on the boat in the storm. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Don't that sound like a violent disturbance? And this is what he said, and I said, "Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for I'd just fly away and be at rest. I'd wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Salah. Think about it. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. That's human nature. We go through a violent disturbance, we want to get out. Get get us out of here. Jesus is our peace. This is not what God wants. Get me out of this storm. And the same psalmist, five chapters earlier, who said in Psalm 55, I would hasten my escape From the tempest, you know what he said five chapters earlier? Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire will devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. The same psalmist. Don't you find yourself in that position most of the time when you go through hard stuff in life? Man, like, I just... When you're really having faith, oh, when God in all of his glory, behold our God, how great is our God. When he comes down, he steps on the mountains and they melt like wax. And he, he's pavilioned in darkness and he makes the winds to, and he rides upon the wings of the cherubim. Our God just disturbs whatever he comes into. And then when he comes into our life, we're like, peace, see y'all later. We want to get out of it. We're bipolar. And Jesus understands that. And there's something to remember when you're going through a storm and you want to get out. You belong to God, the maker of that storm. Number two, remember this, that God's promises are sure even in that storm. He said this, those are my disciples. And I want you all to go to the other side. Same premise of why Abraham could have faith. Because God said that Abraham's line would come through Isaac. So he's got to, yeah, he's asking me to do something. There's this violent disturbance, but he promised, so I'm going to trust. And in our storms, we have to remember that God's promises are sure. Even in that storm, Jesus said, I'll meet you on the other side. He didn't have contingencies. I'll meet you on the other side if you row good enough. If you perform in that boat good enough. He said, I'll meet you on the other side. Hey. Hey. And when you go through COVID year and election year and you go through everything, ain't you glad that God says, Hey, Christian, I'm going to meet you on the other side. That's a promise we can hold on to. We belong to God, the maker of that storm. His promises are sure even in that storm. Number three, Jesus intercedes for you while you're in that storm. Man. And when they sent them away... He departed into a mountain to pray. Hebrews 7 says this, But this man, <laughs> that's Jesus, but this man, because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy Harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. Jesus is our high priest. And when you're down in your boat on that sea of life, going through violent disturbances, don't you ever forget that your high priest is just an earshot away praying for you. He ever lives to make intercession for you. Have you ever stopped and wondered, I wonder if anybody's praying for me. I tell people I'm praying for them all the time. I wonder if anybody prays for me. It's not just anybody. It's this man. We belong to God, the maker of the storm. God's promises are sure even in the storm. Jesus intercedes for you while you're in that storm. Those are the promises that we Christians can hang on to. Let's look in verse number 47. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. He saw them toiling and rowing, For the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he comes unto them walking on the sea and he would have passed them by. I'd like to camp out right here and break down these verses. Verse number 48. He saw them toiling and rowing. Hey, when you're going through your violent disturbance, remember this, Christian, God sees you. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, beholding the evil and the good. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 15 and 16, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous And his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Hey, if you're blood bought by Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how hot and heavy it gets sometimes, how bad the storm gets. He sees you. He saw them toiling and rowing. The word toiling means to test by a touchstone which is a black stone used to test the purity of gold or silver by the color of the streak produced on it by rubbing it with other metals. Toiling means to question by applying torture, to vex with grievous pains, to torment, to be harassed, to be distressed. John 6, John's gospel account of this story of the storm said that they had been rowing 25 to 30 furlongs, about three, a little over three miles. That's how long they had been working. Jesus walked to them in the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch would have been anywhere from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. These boys had been rowing all night. All night, toiling, toiling vexed all night well it was just one night has God ever kept you awake all night about something because you were so grieved man those nights when you can't sleep because it's body or mind and those nights seem like an eternity don't they sometimes yeah our storm in reality is one, two, three days, or maybe a couple weeks or a couple months, maybe even a year, but in the span of eternity, that's not too long. But when you're in that storm, that toiling gets tough, don't it? Hey, storms will test your endurance. One of the main fruits of genuine Christianity written in the New Testament is endurance to affliction. Actually, Jesus said, my real followers will endure. They will endure. He sees you while you're toiling, church. He saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. Rowing, what does this tell us? The disciples were fishermen from coastal towns. Peter, the guy who steps out of the boat here in a minute, Peter, Andrew, and Philip were even from Bethsaida, the place that they were headed to, the town that they were told to meet Jesus in. Jesus' headquarters were stationed in Capernaum, just west of Bethsaida. Surely these men on the boat, if they knew about rowing in a storm, it had to have been these men. Surely they knew how to row a boat and command a vessel. These were grown men. Surely they had been in a storm before. On that, uh, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains. And wind comes out of nowhere and it sweeps down those mountain faces. And it's on you in the Sea of Galilee. So it was nothing for a storm to crop up out of nowhere and the age of these men, the experience, the vocation of the, the normal lives of these men tell us that rowing in a storm probably wasn't that big of a deal. Hey, here's the truth that that tells us that sometimes things, listen to me, please. Sometimes the things that never have given you issues will all of a sudden give you issues. I've never had problems rowing, I'm good. And all of a sudden, all of their experience in rowing meant nothing. Sometimes we can handle on our own, the things we can handle on our own, get out of our control. And that job that puts that paycheck in your banking account once every other week or once a month or whatever, and you've been looking at the increase and not the increaser, you've been leaning back, not leaning on his understanding but on that paycheck to pay all your bills all of a sudden that paycheck gets hit and something that's always been in your control is all of a sudden out of your control that marriage that is never giving you problems all of a sudden it's you're sitting in counseling the kids that we love and hug and cuddle and mommy and daddy all of a sudden it's i can't find them with a search warrant they're out of church i don't know what happened pastor Sometimes the things that we know the best all of a sudden will give us the most problems. Storms come on us. That relationship, that friend that you've always had, all of a sudden they're posting passive aggressive Facebook posts about you. Those things that you've always had control over that are never giving you issues. But remember, God uses storms to draw you closer to Christ. Still in that verse, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came unto them walking on the sea. And would have passed them by. Hey, question. When was another time that Jesus prayed right before he walked into something tumultuous? Remember the garden? John 17. Son, am I allowed to preach? Is that cool? Do y'all do that? Remember when Jesus knelt in the garden and he was praying in the fourth watch? He was praying In the night, right before he walked into something tumultuous, his wrongful arrest, those things that had never caused issues are now killing him. Those disciples that had never fled, they're all gone. He's by himself. His flesh is being ripped from. That body that had never given him that pain is now giving him all sorts of pain. That father that he's always had a relationship with is now turning his head as Jesus drank the cru- uh, dregs of sin and he became sin who knew no sin. That pilot who he had never had a run-in with is now washing his hands of him. Galgotha, undoubtedly that he had walked by before is now the place of his death. Jesus was praying before he stepped into the storm of Calvary. And in this, he was praying right before he stepped into the storm to rescue his disciples. It says, In the fourth watch of the night, he came unto them. John 1 says he came unto his own. They received him not. First Timothy says 1 First Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Hey, why did Jesus... Have to come to earth to die? You need to answer. I want you to please hear this answer. Why did Jesus have to come to this earth to die? Well, he said he would, but why did he even say he would? Is Jesus not powerful enough to forgive your sins from heaven? Why did he have to come down and walk through this storm with us? Watch, Jesus on that mountain, if the winds blow over the top of the mountain, Jesus is up on top of the mountain kneeling and praying. You don't think that he felt the surge of that storm, that wind coming up over his back? You don't think that he could have stood up on the mountaintop and said, you're going to go no further. You don't think that the same wind that he calmed down in the ocean, down on the sea, he could have stopped it and given them a nice, tranquil ride to Bethsaida? As he prayed there that night and the wind flipped through his Jewish locks? You don't think he could have said, nah, not today. You don't think from heaven he could have looked down and said, hey, sin, no. Hey, serpent, you're not going in there. And stopped all of this without moving? What do both things show us? That Jesus wants to be with us. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came unto them. Christmas story, just a couple months ago. This is Emmanuel, God with us. Hey, I want to introduce you to the Messiah. Hey, what's his name? God with us. Ooh, good night. Jesus could calm our storm. But remember, God uses those storms to bring us closer to Christ. In Christ closer to us. No wonder He said in Matthew chapter number 28 when His disciples stood there and the angels said, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? And as they looked up and they saw the, the soles of Jesus' feet, lo, I am with you always. Did you hear what I just said? The last thing that He said wasn't go build megachurches, go perform Hey, go perfectly keep that law. Hey, go do. You know what he said? I'm still with you. Here's the comforter. If I don't go, I can't leave him with. God wants to be with us. But he walked out and he would have passed them by. Jesus is always on the move. When he called his disciples at the beginning of Mark, it says that he walked by them and straightway he walked. Jesus is always on the move. Mark two, and as he passed by, he said, "Follow me." Pastor Tyler, it wasn't one of these things. Hey, let's have a three-day seminar of why you should follow me. This is what Jesus did. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Come, right? If you don't want it, you can stay there, I guess. As he passed by, and straight, Jesus is all. Jesus is not stagnant. He's always on the move. Hey, God sent His Son into the world to save sinners. Jesus stepped down from the highest throne to walk on the sea of our wickedness to be with us. But please heed me. He will pass you by. God ain't going to force Himself on you. I don't care what religions out there say it. He will walk by you. And here's the thing. There's no promise that He's going to double back. Listen to me. I'm begging you. Please listen to me. I know I'm in an incredible church. I mean, I'm thinking about moving my family here. I know it's an incredible church. But Jesus looked at the most incredible religious people in the New Testament and said, you're whited sepulchers with dead bones on the inside. I'm begging you. If Jesus is walking by your way and telling you that you're not saved, this might be your last chance. And I'm not one of these sensationalized, polarized preachers that is going to sing 36 invitations of just as I am to try to prime you to get up here so you can get resaved all over. I ain't one of these people, but I am telling you, there comes a point in time in life that He can pass you by. Please don't let Him. Please. Those disciples cried out in fear. They said, if it's you... Let us come out to you. Hey, sometimes in life it's hard to decipher. I'm just going to be honest. Between deception and the voice of God. And sometimes the most simple thing that we can say in our violent disturbances, Lord, if this is you, just, just make it clear. God wants to make it clear. John 1 tells us he's the light of the world. Luke 2 tells us he's a light to lighten the Gentiles. Psalm 19 tells us that he enlightens our eyes. Psalm 119 tells us that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Acts chapter 9 tells us that he wants the scales off of our eyes. 1 Corinthians 13 says that we see through a glass darkly now, but one day it's going to be clear and we'll see him face to face. Jesus, all the foreshadowing of the Old Testament was made clear by Jesus, the light of the world. Hey, he wants it to be clear why you're going through that storm. He's just waiting on you to step out, have faith. Lord, remember that man who, when Jesus came off the mountain of transfiguration, that man who brought his son, he said, just help my unbelief. I, just, I ain't got the faith for this. And Jesus was like, that's all I need, brother. You're trying to be a Bible college student and know all there is to know about theology. And you're trying to get out of your storm by impressing God with your knowledge that's actually puffing you up in your storm. God just wants you to say, God, I ain't got it today. In my weakness, you've got to be made strong. If that's you, that's you calling us to liberal. All right, here we go. Here we go. You know what he said to Peter? Come. Come. You know what he said in Matthew? Come unto me, all ye that labor, toiling, rowing, trying to get out of your situations on your own, and I'll give you rest. And as we close tonight, Matthew gives an account of this. And in Matthew 14, verse 30, But when Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried and he said, Lord, save me. I know it's easy to blame Peter here. For uh, We've all heard the messages. Oh, Peter got his eyes on the storm. Pray tell me what in the world he's supposed to be looking at. Seriously. We beat people up. Oh, they're just staring at their storm and they're sinking. If there's driving wind piercing your pupils with raindrop missiles, what are you supposed to be looking at? If, this, if you're in a violent storm, ignore the storm, it'll go away. Ignore the storm, go away. Look, look, it's not about what you're seeing in your storm. It's about what you're focusing on in your storm. God ain't concerned with you knowing that you've got a lot of problems. He's concerned if you're focusing on Christ in those problems. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him. He said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, yet their faith was still small. And you know why? Because faith is not built in victory. Faith is built in the storm. Faith ain't built in the victory. Hey, faith isn't built on this Sunday morning. Because behold, our God took the roof off this place. That's not when our faith is built. Faith is built, Pastor, when you step behind that pulpit And there's hardly nobody here because of, for whatever reason. That's when, hey, we're going to continue to move forward. Hey, faith isn't when our churches are growing hand over fist in 2019. No, 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 no. Faith is what we do during COVID 2020. That's faith. Faith ain't what we do when we got our favorite president in office. Sorry. Faith is, you know what I'm saying? Faith ain't when the bank account is full. Faith ain't when we're singing victory in Jesus. Faith is built in the storm. That's why it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Peter was falling in to violent disturbances in his storm. He was succumbing to his storm. Hey, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith will work patience. So, hey, just let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And they were, that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth. He is the Son of God. And John tells us, Then they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at land. Storm was over. Violent disturbance was over. They went from torturous work to immediate calm. That's what Jesus was offering those Pharisees. They just wouldn't listen. You don't have to work so torturously. I fulfilled the law, I, I am what you need. And some of us in here, and I'm done, you've been rowing all night. Man, you've been toiling. And it's hard. And the stuff that you always had confidence in, you can't find that confidence anywhere. And you feel alone. You're the only one willing to step out of the boat. But look, Jesus ain't looking for you to be perfect. He ain't looking for you to make all the right decisions. His wisdom's unsearchable. Good luck trying to figure out the best thing to do. He's not looking for you to be perfect or to perform or to impress. He's just, that's you. I'm coming. I realize that my storm is bringing me closer to you. And I want to build my faith because without that faith, it's impossible to please you. And when you get back close to Christ, because that's what the devil wants to do, use storms to draw you from him. When you get back close to Christ and hide in the covert of his wings and the pavilion of his word, you'll open up your eyes one day and you'll be on shore. Emmanuel, God with you. Let's pray.